Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. I've been doing a sermon series called Family 101, and I've been talking about not not our God-defined roles, but I've been talking about basic relationship 101 type stuff uh, that, that helps us, and we've looked at how to communicate, we've looked at our attitudes, we've looked at happiness in the home. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at love in the home, 1 Corinthians 13. And so for the last three weeks, uh, you've been on our app, and I've been asking you to submit questions because I thought th- there's no more 101 type stuff than trying to answer the questions that you have about the family. So today I want to talk about our dad's day dozen, which is, I'm going to try to tackle 12 questions today. So I'm sitting, and I'm not sure how that's going to work, all right? We're going to try this, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to, today is not so much a sermon, but today is a family talk, and we're going to talk about some uh, fun subjects, some sensitive subjects uh, that you've submitted over the um, over the last few weeks, the things that will help you have a better family. Because we all have this desire, we all have this fear. Let me say it that way. We all have this fear, right? As moms and dads, we're going to really mess things up. How many of you are afraid you're really going to mess it up, right? How many of you are like me, your kids are grown, you feel like you already messed it up, right? Sorry, KK, but um, I've apologized to my kids more than once for how I felt like my inadequacies of a parent uh, really were. But we're all afraid we're going to be like this woman. This is one of the saddest stories. Throw that picture up. This is 80-year-old Kathleen Dimlo who um, passed away. And um, she passed away on May 31st this year. And I read this article. And her obituary is kind of standard when it starts off. It states when she was born, uh, who her parents were, the name of her husband children. But it's a sentence for that takes an awkward, cringeworthy turn. And it says, she abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Shunk. Shunk. And so it states she was from Springfield, Minnesota. The ode was published in the Redwood Falls Gazette in Minnesota. And it's the final two sentences, which I don't think you can see in that photo, that are devastating. Let me read those to you. It says, she passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Can you imagine being the funeral home director running over that obituary with the family? Could you say that one more time? Now, I put that up because it just happened. It's horrific. But deep down inside of all of us as family members, we're kind of hoping we don't mess it up that badly, right? We're kind of hoping that when we die, we, we haven't done that poorly in our family. So let, let's tackle some of the questions that you had 
that maybe will help us, our kids not write that obituary about us, right, when they pass away. Now, let me give you a few ground rules before I start diving into questions. Number one, know this, I do not have all the answers. Please do not look to me this morning as knowing everything there is to know about the family or that I got mine totally right. Listen, my, my youngest daughter's over here. We're going to meet my oldest daughter later on this afternoon. Uh, they're as messed up as your kids are, right? Okay, <laughs> sorry, I'm just joking. Uh, uh, um, no, I'm just saying we, we made our mistakes too. Like I love my two kids. I think my two kids hung the moon. I think they're absolutely fantastic, but we made our share of mistakes too. This is not me on the stage telling you how to do it. Look, look at me. I could write a hundred books before I die. Not one of them will be on parenting. Not one. I just, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. So number two, understand the best I can do is offer advice from the Bible. I'm trying today, to the best of my ability, to give biblical advice, not my opinion. That number three, there were similar questions. Like There were some questions that were submitted. There were four or five in the same type category. So here's what I've done. I've not, I'm not answering your question exactly. I'm paraphrasing the four or five and putting them together and trying to get the spirit of the question right. And number four, know this. These are not comprehensive answers. I'm hitting some highlights and, and moving on. So let, let's talk about some of the highlights. Now, I'm going to throw the questions up on the screen in a Bible verse from time to time. I'm, some, some of these uh, questions I'm going to do one, two, three, four. Those are not on the screen. So if you want to take notes, that's on you today, right? So you might want to jot down some of the things I say. You might just want to listen. But just know they're not going to be on the screen. But this will be on, we'll podcast this sermon. You can go back and listen to it later on if you want to. Question number one. How do we train our children to love God, the church, and the Bible? So like, to me, that's the big question, right? That's the ultimate question. We want our family and we want our kids to love God, love the church, love the Bible, love all things spiritual, become Christians, serve God. Like that's, if you are a believer, like that's the question, right? Like that's the thing that we're, we're not just trying to raise our kids and get them out of the house. We're trying to ha have kids that fall in love with Jesus. Can I get an amen right there? By the way, it's a fantastic 8.30 crowd. Fantastic 8.30. Thank you for being here. So let me give you some pointers on, on how to raise kids that love God, the church, and the Bible. Number one, you love God, the church, and the Bible. You love God, the church, and the Bible. Now I want you to listen to this. According to data collected by Promise Keepers and Baptist Press. Now li listen to some of these stats. If a father does not go to church, but the wife does... One child in 50 will become a regular church attender. Hear me, dads? You do not go to church, but the wife does. 2% of our kids go to church. Now, if you're a single mom here today bringing your kids, you keep bringing them. You keep pouring into them. Don't let that discourage you at all. But if you're a dad and you're, you're sending your kids off to church with mom, you need to stop it. Number two. Uh, no, no, let me say second stat. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-fourths of their children will attend church as adults regularly. If the father attends irregularly, between half and two-thirds of their children will wind up going to church as adults. Get this. If the mother does not go to church, but the father does, Studies show 66% of their children will end up attending church regularly as adults. 
If mom stays home and dad goes. In contrast, if a father does not go to church, but the mother does. Before I told you, uh, the father does not go to church. It doesn't matter what the wife do, mother does. Two-thirds of the children definitely will not be attending church as adults. So if you want your kids to love God, love the church, love the Bible, Dad, let me just put that on your shoulders today. You have got to love God, love the church, and love the Bible as well. Number two, watch what you say. Still answering question number one, watch what you say. See, sometimes we're doing one thing and saying something else, so let me give you an example. If you get in the car after church and you talk negatively about church, you are hurting your kids' chances of staying close to the Lord as adults. Sometimes we have this habit of getting in the car and on the way home, we, we just critique everything that's going on at church. I want to remind you, if, uh, uh, if you feel called to do this, by all means, let us know. Like, like, this is not as easy as it looks, right, Danny? It's a little harder than it looks up here. You say, well, I think the choir will do something different. Well, come on up and join the choir, man. We'll take you up here. You say, well, I think I could preach better. I, I know you could preach better. Like, I'm not worried about that, but go find your own church. So, um, um, watch what you say. Watch what you say. Expressing a lack of faith in God, grumbling all the time, and complaining all leads that to children turning away from God. The third thing I want to say about that first question is avoid preaching all the time. You not, I'm not saying avoid the preaching service. I'm saying you don't preach all the time. Kids normally don't get nagged into loving God. Now, hey, look, let me say something to teenagers. I was a probably... 17 when I when I fell I saved at 12 probably 17 when I fell in love with Jesus and and I did it my wife kind of got me more regular in church we were dating at the time and got me more regular in church and had a pastor who challenged uh the whole church to read through the Bible in a year and he he put a he put a graph on the back wall and I just wanted to be the first one to read the Bible like it was a challenge so I want to get through it so I started reading the Bible for not spiritual reasons at all but because I wanted to win and so uh something happened though because I always make the statement, if you'll get in the Bible, the Bible will get in you. And I got in the Bible, and it changed me. I was coming home from high school, taking a Bible and pouring over a Bible till the wee hours of the night. I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. But you, you're never going to nag your kids into doing that. God's got to take hold somewhere. And the, look, don't worry about them if they're normal teenagers, right? They're going to be normal kids. But maybe you want to reward spirituality. My dad, when I was a kid, used to pay me for memorizing Bible verses and reading parts of the Bible. There may be a preacher that, uh, or let your kids choose a preacher. They can podcast him and listen to the sermons on a podcast. Reward spirituality. Number four on question number one, let your lips and your life match up. Hypocrisy always drives kids away. It's just a fact. If, you, if you're trying to get your kids to love the church and you come to church on Sundays, but you live like the world starting on Monday, your kids are going to pick up on that. They're going to think it's not real and it's just not going to happen. And number five, make the Christian life who you are, not what you do. Look, look at these Bible verses, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. 
Here's what God said. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's, here's, what, the, here's what God told to do. You, you immerse yourself into the Christian life. Christianity is not what you do on Sundays and then you forget it on Mondays. Uh, going to church or being a Christian is not what you do. It's who you are. And you'll, you'll train your kids to love God, love the church, and love the Bible. Second question was this. How do we deal with homosexuality when it's my own child? We, I probably got a half a dozen of questions or more around this same line. Now, let me say this. I know that this is a sensitive and difficult subject. And listen to me carefully. Everybody look right this way. I do not have all the answers right here. Like I, I didn't even want to deal with this subject in church, but it was asked so many times I felt like I needed to. So I'm going to give you the best advice I can do right here. Number one, know this. The Bible is still true and there is one design for sexuality and marriage according to God. Now get this. Anything that deviates from God's design is against God's standard. Now, here's what I mean by that. Don't just pick out one thing and major on that. It's all contrary to God's standard if it deviates from God's design. Just one example. If you go to Leviticus 18, in one chapter, there are at least four or five categories of sexual immorality that uh, God outlines as wrong. Here they are. Incest, that's uh, uh, inappropriate relationship with a family member. Adultery, that's an inappropriate relationship when you're married, outside of marriage. That is, uh, that, by the way, the, this is one of the ten commandments too. Fornication, which is... Sexual relationships with someone before you're married, that's condemned throughout the Bible. And 1 Corinthians really talks heavily about uh, why you're messing up uh, your, your, your Christian life by doing that. Homosexuality, which is a sexual relationship with a person of the same uh, gender. And then bestiality, which is um, with animals. And I know you say preachers shouldn't talk about I hate talking about that. It was actually some religions practiced that in Jesus' day or in the Bible days in, in Deuteronomy. So here's what I'm saying. If we're going to condemn one, we're going to condemn them all. Right? One's just as wrong as the other. And 1 Corinthians tells us, and God, Jesus told us this everywhere in the Bible, that sex is reserved for a married man and woman, and that is God's only design. So before I dive into the subject, I want you to understand, we're not singling one thing out and saying, well, that's wrong. It's all wrong according to God's word. But how do you, specifically with that question, number two, be full of grace and truth. Be full of grace and truth. That's what John 1.14 says, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And I realized in my own parenting uh, that when my kids were little, I was all truth. That means I was all law. I was always on them. I was, I was telling them what was right and what was wrong. I still got that in me. They'll joke with me. We'll get in the car. We're, we're, we're going to Braves game this afternoon. We'll get in the car after church and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get two miles down the road and I'll say, hey, I read a study this week that says you ought to do this. And my kids, they'll be like, time out. We don't want to hear it, you know, but I was all truth. About 10 years ago, I added to my prayer life, 
God, I, I spent too much time being truth and not enough time being grace in their lives. And so now I pray for myself in my daily prayer list. Lord, help me show grace to my kids. It is a balance between the two that is appropriate. Grace and truth. Here's what that means. Truth means you have to have hard conversations about biblical truth. You can't ignore it. Grace means you still love your child no matter what. Third thing I want to say is this. You've got to understand their situation. You, you may have a child or a family member that's been struggling with same-sex attractions for years. And that's not going to be dealt with overnight. And there are some reasons for that that need to be dealt with. And number four, the thing I want to say about that is invest in recovery resources, overcoming resources for you and your child. Because the tendency is for us to say, um, uh, well, I, I need to get my child into some counseling, and you do too. I mean, just be honest, you do too. Look, I, I'm one of those guys, I think we probably all need a little bit of counseling. Like, like, it, it, marriage counseling is good for everybody. Family counseling is good for everybody if it's a Christian counselor. And you just need to, sometimes you're going to invest major resources for you and your child. Help them seek help where they can. And number five, pray hard. Pray hard. Seek counsel and pray hard. Many of you, several of you ask, how do you deal with family members who, who bring their same-sex partner to events? Like, maybe I don't want my kids around that. Well, hey, let me just say this. Number one, communicate well, and it's all the same question. Communicate well with your kids and your family. Like, go into that situation knowing what is going on, and then you just have to pray about it and make a choice all your own. I'm not one of those that says, well, you stay away from that because you may be the only gospel witness they have in their lives. But you ha do you, there is a measure you've got to protect your family. All right, that was question number two. Question number three is probably the most serious one of all. My wife is an Alabama fan, and she has tainted our daughter to become one too. Will my wife be able to get into heaven? So... Um, I'll be honest, I had to do a lot of digging and research on this one throughout the Bible. I just dug through this thing. Here's what I found is that um, um, she'll get into heaven, but her mansion will be a one-room shack on the south side with a G on the door when she gets there, Alabama fans. Now, if you're a Tennessee fan... I think flames are orange when you see them in the fire, and so, I don't know. It's dangerous if you ask me. Please do not send me emails or write me letters, okay? Recognize a joke. Number four, how do you witness to family members who don't care about God? Let me say, I know this hurts. Listen, we all want our family in heaven. Can I get an amen right there? We, we want to go to heaven, and, and by the way, we, we had a lot of que several questions, I say a lot, several questions about recognizing family in heaven. I'm not going to deal with that, but the fact is, we all want our family there, right? So let me say some things. Number one, witnessing always means words. Sometimes you just need to lovingly share the gospel, make an appointment with that mom or dad, make an appointment with that child or grandchild, buy them dinner, go out to eat with them sit down somewhere, and, and literally share the gospel. 
draw three circles, do ABC, do the Roman road, I don't care, but literally tell them I love you and I want you to be in heaven with me and share the gospel and ask them to make a decision right there. Someone said, and this is quoted so many times, uh, someone said, how does it go? Um, Witness everywhere you go and if necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words. The gospel needs to be preached is what the Bible says. But that does lead me to another thing I want to say is this. Let them see Christ in you. Throw that Bible verse up on the screen. Peter wrote this to wives in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. And he said, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will, they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So Paul, uh, Peter told wives, hey, if you, if, if you got saved and your husband did not get saved and you're trying to figure out how to deal with that, then here's what I want you to do. You, look, you share Christ with them. That, that, they may not accept. Well, then you live a godly, you let them see the difference Jesus has made in your life. And they could be one by observing your pure and reverent life. And number four, pray. You ought to have a daily time set aside at least once a week where you stop and pray for those family members to be saved. Number five, how do we stop arguing so much as a family? I'm just going to hit this quickly because I dealt with this a lot in my communication sermon. And go back and listen to that. Let me give you four things here real quick. Number one, have clear boundaries and standards. Here's what I mean by that. This is, if you're going to write a sentence down, write this sentence down. We don't discuss what we've already decided. So sometimes you're arguing because you've not had a real conversation about it. You've had a one-way shouting match about it. And you've not sat down and discussed why and all that. I'll give you a couple examples. Husbands and wives argue over money. It's the number one thing husband and wives fight over. The in-laws seem to be number two, but husband and wives, number one, is uh, money. And so here's what happens. You're not living off a budget. You're not, you're not group. You're not uh, jointly deciding where the money goes. You may even have his money and her money, which I don't uh, think you ought to do at all. That's just my personal opinion. But you wind up fighting over money. So you wind up fighting over purchases because you don't have a budget. Had you already decided on a budget, we don't discuss what we've already decided. We make the decision before the heat of the moment. Happens when you, your kids. Your kids do not have clear set boundaries. So parents, you're always having the same argument with them. Can I get an amen right there? You're never arguing about new stuff. It's always the same thing. So you've got to sit down, have a clear cut discussion on this subject and decide with them what the answer is. You say, well, we're arguing over curfew. We'll stop it. Decide what the curfew is and what the punishment is for missing the curfew. And uh, it's decided, so we're not going to discuss it every time you walk out the door. Right? Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hey, there's nothing better than being filled with God and, and having the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Hey, can I tell you this? There's nothing like walking with God that will fix most family problems. Number three, don't be argumentative. Some people in the family are in argument waiting to happen. 
And if you had not argued in a day or two, you think something's up, and you'll just start one to get things back to normalcy a little bit. Don't be argumentative. And then number four, here's my wife's favorite verse. She, she, t- she uses this all the time, and she is so good at it. Number four, practice a soft answer. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's hard to argue and fight with somebody who's given a soft answer back. If you'll be soft, it tends to soften uh, the other person. Number six, how do you raise a teen in the gaming and online world? Well, I don't know. Because I'm addicted to Fortnite too. So we, we all need counseling, right? I won this two weeks ago. Somebody, somebody clap for me. Some teenager clap for me. I won again. Thank you. Um, so here, this is tough. I, I want to say this to you. You can take that picture down. So much is available. There is so much sin available on this. That when I was a teenager, we had to work really hard for. And now it's all right here. I would suggest a book for you. It's called The Tech Wise Family. You can just Google that and find it, The Tech Wise Family. Here's some things I would do. Number one, set limits. If your kids are in the single digits, really, really limit their screen time. You're going to get them addicted to something that in their teen years they're going to have a hard time controlling. For your teenagers, have rules and don't let it be arbitrary. Let them earn screen time. Number two, you have every right to monitor your teenager's online world. Teens, I'm saying that to you. Your parents have every right to monitor your online world. So does your husband and so does your wife if you're married. My wife knows my password. She's got everything. I've got hers. We're not keeping secrets. My, my, she's got accounts on most. Everybody has a right to monitor everything. And number three, if your kids are little or whatever, get them out of the house. Like, go outside. Find something to do. You know, in the summertime, you, I know you can't really do this anymore. In the summertime... Sherry and I joke, our, our moms would send us outside. My mom would put a jug of Kool-Aid on the porch and lock the door behind me. <laughs> so you just had to figure it out. <laughs> Two sticks, man, could go a long ways. I mean, I'd go in the woods and be Tarzan, and I mean, I'd, I mean, whatever. I got a BB gun. I got in trouble with that a little bit, but I mean, it was, you start there, Kool-Aid, you'll be fine. It'll warm up, but you'll be fine outside. Get your kids outside a little bit and find something else fun for them to do. Number seven. Somebody asked me this. I love answering this. It's not a spiritual thing. What was our favorite thing to do as a family? Michaela's over here. I, I, I think she'd agree with these. I didn't run them by her. Number one is just talk. We love to talk. Josh joined our family not years ago, not too many years ago, but he'll testify to this. We love to go to the den in our house and just talk for hours at a time. We, we love car time. 
I know there are sometimes couples that have a hard time. I hear from you like, hey, preacher, we had a six-hour drive and an hour into it. We didn't have anything to say. We've never had that problem. We, we will talk each other's ears off until somebody says, shh, trying to take a nap. But we love to talk. We love to discuss days. You, you, there's an art to conversation. My wife has tried to teach our kids that over the years. Don't ask yes, yes or no questions. We just we love to talk. Man, we love to talk. Number two, we love to travel. So I don't, I don't know why somebody won't this. And, and we like to get go places. Number three, we love to sing. Our favorite activity is getting in the car and singing to the top of our lungs. And I brought you an example. If I had to run, if I had to crawl, if I had to swim a hundred rivers, just to climb a thousand walls, always know that I would find a way to get to where you are. There's no place that far. That's us in the car. I don't know why you will know that, but uh, uh, we love to do fun stuff together. Number eight, when and how do you talk to your children about sex? Let me say some things. Number one, a lot earlier than you think. My dad never, my dad passed away at 46. He never had a conversation with me about it. So that, that leaves you to... Uh, public school system most of the time to learn and you're going to be shocked most of what they'll learn in the public school system I'm not talking about from a class I'm talking about from one another is not going to be good so you need to do it earlier than you think number two you need to do it in a godly way never be crude towards the opposite sex Hey, if you're a dad and it's your responsibility to talk to your sons about sex, you do it in a godly, holy way, a way that does not demean women, a way that does not demean marriage or relationship. Let me give you a resource. If you, if you need to have this conversation, my wife used this with our girls, and I loved it. I, I didn't go, but it's, it's kind of a weekend away. And it's from Dennis Rainey, and it's called A Passport to Purity. They make it for boys and girls. Dennis Rainey, Passport to Purity. Number nine, how do you deal with the emptiness period of your marriage? How many of you have little kids at home? Raise your hand. You got little kids at home? Raise your hand high. Raise it high. Raise it high. high, high. Let me see. All right. They will leave you one day. And when they do, <laughs> sorry, KK, I'm sorry you have to hear this. Um, so we worried about the empty nest syndrome, syndrome too. I, I had two friends at the same time who were, we were all becoming empty nesters at the same time. And we had, we had kind of planned a retreat. We were going to go on a retreat, the three couples, and, and we were going to, and we all did fine. Everybody's good with it, man, when it rolls around. But let me tell you a couple things about it. When your kids are at home, you need to keep your marriage relationship number one. Do not let your children become more important 
than your marriage because they are going to leave you one day. I know it's, you know, I don't think that. I know my kids were little. I'd say, who are you going to marry when you grow up? And Michaela and Savannah would say, we're going to marry you, Daddy. And I said, that's right. We're going to live together forever. Josh came along. <laughs> All of a sudden, she's in love with another man that's not named Daddy. That happens, boys and girls. So here's what you've got to do. If you've got little kids at home, your relationship, my, Sherry and I, man, might have such a great wife. We didn't keep secrets from one another. My kids would say to Sherry, uh, they would say, hey, I want to tell you something, but don't tell Dad. And she'd say, no, I'm going to tell Dad. That, uh, about twice in 20 years, they'd say to me, I'm going to tell you something, and don't tell Mom. And I'd say, great, tell me, because I'm never, I'm never in the know on anything. <laughs> Two girls at home, but... Uh, you keep your relationship, number one. Number, final thing, if you're already an empty nester and you're struggling, here's what I tell you to do, start over. Start dating again. Just because you are married does not mean you are close. So, so many people wind up divorced when their kids leave home, and that should not be. If you were there, just start over. Number 10, I don't mean start over with somebody else. I mean start over in your relationship. <laughs> start dating again. Number 10, is it wrong to marry someone from a different religion? Hey, let me be very clear. There is a difference between a different denomination and different religions. So I wasn't sure where this was coming from. If you are a Baptist and you're married a Methodist, you're okay. Like, I, I, I mean, even that sometimes could be difficult trying to decide where you're going to go to church and all that. We're not talking about different denominations where you believe them. Here, here's the main thing, that you believe the same about soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Like, like you need to marry someone that you think soteriology, salvation is the same, or that will be difficult. But now, when you talk about a different religion, that's totally different. When you're talking about as a, as a Christian should I date a Mormon or should I date a No, you should not. You should avoid dating and marrying someone from a different religion. Let me show you a Bible verse. I didn't say it. God said it. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Those are two different statements. What it means is, uh, uh, what? So here's what it's saying. You shouldn't marry an unbeliever. And you shouldn't marry someone who has a different religion altogether. Both of those are going to cause problems if you're a believer. It's like this. How will you raise your children? And I know oftentimes, especially girls, think, well, I'm going to marry him and convert him. Don't count on it. Wedding evangelism rarely works. He still probably has a mama somewhere who's going to fight back with you a little bit. And so... Um, it can cause problems, especially coming to a believer. So the Bible is very plain. You should not marry and date unbelievers. Of course, if you've already done it, you stay there and pray for your husband or wife to be saved. Number 11, i got to move quickly. What does the Bible say about divorce? The Bible is very plain that God intended for one man to be married to one woman for one lifetime. Look at these verses, Matthew 19, 5 and 6. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Those are the words of Jesus. Those are in the Gospels. 
There are two reasons given for divorce in the Bible that are scripturally allowed reasons for divorce. Number one is unrepentant adultery. Number two is unsaved spousal abandonment. What that means is one one spouse gets saved, the other spouse refuses to get saved and abandons you because of your faith. In both those instances, the Bible says you're free to, uh, uh, to remarry. However, neither time is it commanded for you to get divorced. So uh, let me just say this. Look this way. Not being able to get along is not a reason for a Christian marriage to dissolve. So two things. If you've been divorced and you've remarried, then stay in the marriage you're in and make it work. If you are married and never been divorced, remove the word divorce from your vocabulary. And here's what I tell people when I do pre-marriage counseling. You imagine divorce were illegal. If divorce were illegal, would you still walk down the aisle with that guy or that girl? Like once I married them, I have to stay with them for the rest of my life. You'd go to jail uh, if you tried to divorce them. For some of you, jail probably looks pretty good, but... Hey, that's why, listen, teenagers, it's why it's so important who you marry. Now, let me say this, and i, I, I got to move quickly to get to the last question. There is a myth out of Hollywood of the soulmate and the right person out there for me. Look this way. We've gotten from Hollywood that... Um, well, there, there's, there's, there's this person out there for me. They're my soulmate. And that is destructive to our culture. Here's why. You are going to fight and argue. and not, You're going to go through a rough patch in your marriage. I don't care who you are. And if you're not careful, you start hearing statements like this. Well, preacher, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. I married too young. We shouldn't have got married. All sorts of things. And and here's why I'm saying that. It'll cause you to chase after somebody else thinking you didn't marry the right person in the beginning. Now, I know that's hard to hear. Hang with me. That's not biblical. As a matter of fact, most of the marriages in the Bible were arranged by family. You didn't choose oftentimes. Who you married. So don't always be chasing after Mr. and Mrs. Wright. You get married and you be Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And things have a way of working out for the good. I mean, if you were, if you were arranged in a marriage, you threw back the veil and you were like, oh boy. It's not what I thought. You didn't get to call it off. But you, you dug in and said, I'll learn to love. Now, I, I'm not saying we ought to do that today. What I'm trying to tell you is if, if, you, if you love them, you married them, you, you dig in and make it work. Don't be looking for somebody else. Number 12, and I'm finished. How do I get guys listen to this? It was asked multiple times. How do I get my husband to lead the home spiritually? 
Dads, I want you to hear that question. Josh, you can come get a song together. It's from probably many wives who desire for their husband to step up to the plate and be the godly man he needs to be. Listen to this Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be bold like men, and be strong. The King James Version says, quit you like men. It meant be strong in the faith. And men on Father's Day, I want to lead you this, leave you with this. No one's asking you to become a preacher, though if God's calling you, that's great. No one is asking you to be a super Christian. We're not asking you to, to, to go to China and be a missionary. Dads, listen to me carefully. Your, your wife's not looking for that. If God's called you to be that, by all means, surrender and do it. But really, the spirit of the questions I got along these lines had nothing to do with you being a super Christian. It was just, I, I need my husband to lead our home spiritually. So dads, listen to me. Men, listen to me. You have no excuse for not walking with God personally in your home. There's no excuse. You have no excuse for not making sure your family's in church. You have no excuse for not spending time in your Bible and pray. You have no excuse for not loving your family the way God has called you to love them sacrificially. You need to be the Christian your family needs you to be. And you need to start today. Some of you say, well, I'm too busy. Well, then get less busy. Some would say, well, I'm, I'm afraid to step out and try to lead spiritually. Then get bold. Some of you say, well, I don't even know where to start. Ask somebody. Find a mentor. Let them pour into your life. Be the man your family needs you to be. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to do the invitation just different today. If you're here today, and let me just talk to dads for a second. If you're here today and you're a dad, and you'd say, preacher, you know, I, I listen to some of those things right there from the Word of God, and I realize I see my, I, there's some areas in my life I, I've got to step up to the plate. I've got to be the spiritual leader in my home. I've got to lead my family in some of these areas. If you're here today and you're a dad, and you say, preacher, I saw myself in some of those questions and Bible verses you read there a minute ago. If, if that's you, if you're a dad, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You just hold your hand up and just testify to God. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today or anything. Just hold your hand up. Oh, man, thank you. All across the room. Thanks, guys. Man, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. Just hold your hand up. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. So here's what I want us to do. I'm just going to ask every dad in the room to stand up. Just if you're a dad in the room, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just stand up. Just stand up. And I want to pray for us. Us. Me too, man. Me too. And uh, if you're... Ladies, if you're kneeling, if others of you are, are sitting, you just stay seated. But if you know your husband or your dad or family members close to you, I want you to pray for them as well. Just you can remain seated. I want to pray for the, uh, us men today. God would use us. Father, I thank you for these men that are standing here today. Husbands and dads who desperately... Lord, I believe our hearts are, we want to lead our families well. We want to lead our children well. And 
Lord, Lord, I wake up most every day and feel like, man, I, I just, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not doing what I ought to do. And, and, and God, you know the prayer on my daily, help me to be the husband I need to be. Help me to be the father I need to be. And Lord, I think that would be all of our prayers today. And God, we can do it with your help. So today, help us as men be strong like men, as the word said. Be bold in our faith to stand up, live for Jesus, and do what's right. And may we look back at Father's Day 2018 and remember that was the day that the Spirit of God changed who we were. I pray we go back and, Lord, we're, we would be different and our families would even notice that difference. Hey, I'm going to ask everybody to stand if you would. I'm going to ask our staff to come forward. Josh is going to sing one verse. If you're here today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.